We will be teaching from Acts 1, so please turn with me there. Acts 1, 1 through 14. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said for them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, and they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, all these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is God's word. Thanks, Anne. It's good to see all of you here today. Have you ever thought about how unlikely it is that here we are in the middle of North America worshiping someone who lived 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world? After Jesus was, was crucified, it, it was very unlikely that this movement he had started would even, even continue. But here we are. And if you read the Gospels, you realize that the disciples, they were not on board with the plan. They constantly second-guessed Jesus. They really didn't think he knew what he was doing when he told them his plan for his life. Uh, the classic passage is Matthew 16. Jesus tells his disciples, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to be raised from the dead. You remember what Peter did? It says he took Jesus to the side. He didn't, he didn't want to embarrass him in front of the other disciples. He took him to the side, and he rebuked him. He said, this will never happen to you. And that's when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And so the, the plan was not accepted. They did not follow his plan. They didn't believe he knew what he was talking about. And many of the virtues, but following Jesus was not one of them. We get to the book of Acts, and Jesus is raised from the dead, and he continues to tell them his plan. Okay, I'm raised from the dead. This, this is the plan going forward. 
And here's the plan. Get this. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And these are the people that had abandoned him just six weeks earlier. And guess how they responded? No more second-guessing Jesus. They trusted him. They followed him. They became people who would give up anything. They would pay any cost, reputation, money, their own lives to tell this message about Jesus, to take it to all the nations of the earth, every grouping of people on earth. They became that type of people. Paul put it this way later, years later. He said, since Jesus died for us, we should live for him. And so here we are, 2,000 years later. I think we have to conclude that the plan that Jesus laid out for them is working. The church has been very, very, uh, um, uh, has a varied history in terms of how we've carried it out in the past and in the present. But the plan, it's working as Jesus designed it. Today we're going to begin this sermon series in the book of Acts. And I, I hope that you leave here today if, as we look at this passage just convinced that Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about when he said to them and to us, here's the plan. You're going to be my witnesses, both near and far. I hope we're more like the the disciples in the book of Acts than in the Gospels, that we're not people who second-guess him, but we just say, Jesus, I think your plan is beautiful. I think it's good. I think it's right. And so today we're going to look at Acts 1, 1 through 14. Luke tells us these three realities that are going to fuel this plan for the nations. And then he's going to tell us how the disciples responded. And I'm going to encourage us to respond exactly the way the disciples did. But let's consider these three realities. The first is the reality of his resurrection and his kingdom. Luke begins by giving this one-sentence summary of the gospel that he had written. Listen again to Luke 1, verses 1 and 2. He, had re- he wrote these two books to a man named Theophilus. We're not really sure who he is. He might have been a patron who, who helped fund Luke's writing effort. But we read this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles <clears throat> whom he had chosen. By saying in this first book, this, this Gospel of Luke, he recorded what Jesus began to do and teach. He's implying that when you read the book of Acts, this is what Jesus continues to do and teach. And so as we'll see, Jesus is back at the right hand of his Father in heaven, but he's not idle. He's still active. He's still doing and teaching just as he was in the Gospels. He's doing it through the, through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, and through others of his followers. But before he returned to the Father, Jesus made sure that the apostles were clear on two things. If they didn't get this reality right, if we don't get this reality, the plan will will crash and burn. The reality of his resurrection and his kingdom. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus proved to them that he was raised from the dead. You read the Gospels and and he says, here, look at the scars in my hands and feet. Touch me if you would like. On one occasion, he ate food in front of them. He ate some broiled fish. And so they went away convinced he had proved to them 
that he had been raised bodily from the dead. And so when they talked about Jesus, they had this credibility. I mean, like we saw him, our hands touched him. And so what we're telling you is absolute truth. It had this ring of credibility and everywhere they went, it's like a drumbeat in the book of Acts. It says, evil men put him to death, but God raised him up. He died, he was crucified, but God raised him up. And everywhere they went, people believed. Thousands and thousands of people became followers of Christ because they had this credible witness. And when they wrote about the resurrection, it was credible and and it, it was believable. And that's why we believe the resurrection, right? We were not there. Jesus said, blessed are those who are going to believe without having seen me risen from the dead. We believe because their, their writings are credible. You read the, the New Testament, the, the most likely reason for the Christian movement, why we're here today, is because Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so if you're somebody who has experienced, who, who believes in the resurrection and has experienced the power of the resurrection, you too can be a credible witness to other people. And I'll just say this, the more you experience Jesus and the more you experience the power of his resurrection, the more you'll have to share. Because being a witness is not about making up things or we're not a PR, Jesus does not need a PR firm. He just needs people who tell who he is, what they've experienced, and how other people can experience the same thing. So they had to get, be clear on the resurrection as well, he spoke about the kingdom of God. During his earthly kingdom, Jesus talked about the, the kingdom of lot, a lot. He told parables, but nobody really understood. They really couldn't understand the kingdom. There were all these misconceptions. But now that he had been raised from the dead, uh, they were in a place where they could comprehend. Luke 24 tells us that he opened their minds to understand the scripture. And he explained to them that this, this has been the plan all along. Uh, Genesis 12, he says he's going he's gonna, to uh, bless all the nations of the earth through a descendant of Jesus. This is that descendant. And so they opened their minds to understand that the Christ had to suffer. He had to die. He had to be raised from the dead. And this message about him had to be proclaimed to the nations. And so they need to be clear that the, the, that the kingdom would move forward one heart at a time through their, through their witness. And you and I need to be just as clear. We need to understand Jesus died for sin. He was raised from the dead. And the kingdom of God, it moves forward as we bear witness, as we, we tell people, this is what I've experienced. This is how you can experience it as well. And so I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, you have experienced something so miraculous that it has changed your life forever. You have a new heart. You have these new appetites. Uh, You have this hope beyond the grave. You don't fear death. You know that you will be with the Lord forever. In other words, you have experienced something so miraculous, so powerful, something that every single person you know also needs to experience. You have experienced it. Jesus' simple plan is, out of that conviction, out of that depth of faith, you are to bear witness. You're to tell people, this is what I've experienced. This is what you can experience as well.
That's so simple, right? What's the problem? I can almost hear you thinking this because I think this myself. You're like, yeah, in theory, I, I get it, but I'm not sure if I'm that person. I'm, I'm just not that good with words. I, I'm kind of a private person. Well, let me put your minds at rest. Jesus' plan is not going to be fueled by your speaking skills or your resolve or your ability to persuade people with your human abilities. Jesus' plan is going to be fueled by the Holy Spirit. That's the second reality. And so they needed to understand the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice what happens next, beginning in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. So he's told them about this before. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he tells them, uh, wait, remain in Jerusalem and wait. Why? Because God is about to make good on a promise that he had made many places, but in, in places like the book of Joel chapter 2, where he said, I'm about to pour, I'm, one day I'm going to pour out my spirit on all mankind, every grouping of people, every status in society, every, every ethnic, ethnic group. And uh, it turns out that in Jerusalem, just a few days later, there were devout Jews, as it says in Acts 2, devout Jews from every nation under heaven. They had gathered for the day of Pentecost. And Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem because those people, along with the disciples, they needed to see, they needed to hear, they needed to experience this, this uh, coming of the, Holy, of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 5, Jesus echoes a statement that John the Baptist had made. Somebody asked him, John, are you the Christ? And he said, I'm not the Christ. I'm baptizing you with water. There's someone coming after me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Jesus referenced that. And just a few days later, Jews from every country, devout Jews from every country, and the disciples, they're the ones that would be drenched with the Holy Spirit himself. Well, the disciples had a question. It was about timing, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Uh, just six weeks earlier when they were going to Jerusalem, uh, they thought, well, that's, this is the time when Jesus is finally going to establish the kingdom. But he was crucified. And so now Jesus is raised from the dead. They've got this proof. They know that. And so they, Jesus, they're just, they think, Jesus, maybe now's the time where you're going to fully and finally defeat all your enemies and establish your kingdom. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He said timing is not something that you need to know. And so he redirects them to what they did need to know, they needed to know the plan and the power for advancing the kingdom to all the nations of the earth. And in verse 8, he just lays it out very simply, very concisely. And what we're going to notice is that he didn't, he didn't gather them around and say, hey, let's brainstorm. Let's, you, know, you got any ideas? I'm raised from the dead. We need to reach the nations. No, it wasn't that at all. He had a plan. It's very simple. And here it is, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea 
and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so Jesus states matter-of-factly, this is what will happen. It's not really a command. He's saying, this is the plan. This is, this is what's going to happen. They would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Before the, the, the crucifixion, they were very powerless. Uh, Peter denied even knowing Jesus, much less witnessing about him. Everybody else abandoned him. Um, but, but when the Holy Spirit came upon them, the Holy Spirit, right? You know which one I'm talking about, the one that was hovering over the surface of the deep at creation, the, the Holy Spirit that empowered the prophets, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He said, when, when you are clothed with power from on high, the Holy Spirit descends upon you, then you will be my witnesses both near and far. They would speak freely. They would speak boldly about Jesus, both near and far. And those geographical references there, they can be taken as kind of a crude outline of the book of Acts, the rest of the book. And so chapters 2 through 7 record how they were witnesses in and around Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 record how they were witnesses in the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria. And then chapters 13 through 28 record how they were witnesses to the end of the earth. And the book ends with Paul all the way in Rome, and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And as we go through Acts, we're going to see how the original disciples were empowered to be Jesus' witnesses, uh, both near and far. And they say and do things that just is unexplainable by human, human wisdom, human power. For example, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up. And again, he had, he had denied knowing Jesus. And he stands up and he preaches this sermon. And guess what? He sounds just like Jesus. He's got this profound understanding of the scriptures. And he's laying it out there for him. And they do these miracles. And they're, they're the same miracles that Jesus had done. And so no doubt about it, the Holy Spirit descended on them. And they were empowered to, to be his witnesses. And thousands and thousands of people came to Christ. They believed and they were baptized all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And the plan has not changed. Okay, if you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And the plan is for you to be a witness to people around you. The vast majority of us will stay in this culture, Right? We're, we're to, to be witnesses to the people in our culture that we know, friends, family, coworkers, classmates, uh, random people we meet. A few people will be called and will be sent to other cultures. There are people that have done in this culture, have, have been effective and proven effective to, to represent Christ, and they'll be, they'll be sent to other cultures. Some of you, that may be, I may be talking to you, but whether, whether you're near or far, the power is the same. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the plan. That's the promise from God. My question for you this morning is, do you believe that, honestly? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit dwelling within you can and will empower you to be a witness for him? Again, a witness, you don't, witness doesn't make things up. You just accurately, credibly rely, relay what's happened to you, how others can experience Christ the way you have. 
Well, I want to encourage you with two things. Let me encourage you first with an observation and then with a story. And the observation is this. Unless you're one of those people that nobody told you about Christ, you went straight to the Bible and you read it and understood it and believed. And that happens occasionally, I'm told. Unless you're that person, you came to Christ because somebody in your life was empowered by the Holy Spirit to, to bear witness to you. That's why you believe. Somebody, it could be your mom or your dad, could be a Sunday school teacher, maybe somebody on your dorm floor, it could be a coworker, it could be, you might have been at your doctor's office and they said, hey, I've got this, uh, I don't think your, your problem is physical, I think it's spiritual. And they shared the gospel with you, taking a great risk in doing that. Some random person, maybe you heard somebody on the radio, whatever, somebody was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they told you when Jesus died, he died for your sins. And then he was raised again on the third day, and you can actually be saved by grace through faith. It's grace. It's a gift. He's not selling anything. You don't earn or deserve anything. It is strictly a gift, and you receive that gift by faith. And so if you're a believer, somebody was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you believed that message, therefore, you are tangible, living proof that the Holy Spirit still empowers people to bear witness, that this plan still works. And so what has happened to you can also happen through you. The plan hasn't changed. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you to bear witness to others. Pretty good observation, huh? I thought so. Well, here's a story. About 10 years ago, we, uh, we added that addition on the front of the church. We, we got this office complex, and I needed a desk. And I'd been thinking for years, I'd love to make a desk. And so uh, I'd been thinking about it. So I decided to make a desk. And one of the things I wanted to put in my desk was a secret compartment. Old furniture often had secret compartments to store contraband or a weapon or something in there. And so I made this, I made this uh, secret compartment in my desk, and I'm not going to tell you where it is. Then it wouldn't be a secret compartment. But guess what I've had in that secret compartment for the last seven years? These $200 bills. $200. These $200 were given to the church by a man named Musa. He is part of the uh, Maya people in Papua, Indonesia. And Musa had been sent by his people, by his church, at great expense, great expense, to travel across the world and thank the churches that had sent missionaries to them. And so one of the churches they went to, they went to the church that... Uh, Paul, his name was uh, Paul Rhodes went to. He was one of the first people to bring them the gospel. And he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He went to Papua, Indonesia. He preached the gospel. He and his wife, his children were with him. And they believed. Uh, Paul ended up dying over there. He got cerebral malaria and he died over there. But his wife stayed into her old age. And so Musa came and he brought them a gift, uh, just like he brought us a gift. And then he came here to Manhattan, and he brought uh, faith 
$200 because we had sent Bob and Susan Cochran, the couple that you saw on the, the screen. They went with Wycliffe Bible Translators. They work with oral Bible storing where they, they uh, figure out a way to tell the stories of the Bible to a people that don't have a written language. And so they poured out their lives, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they poured out their lives in this oral Bible storing. And so I want to show you some pictures. I'm going to get out of the way here a little bit. I want to show you some pictures here. This is, uh, this is Musa. This is 2015. He's handing me these $200 bills and uh, that, that uh, little satchel on my neck. He took it off of his, his neck. It was on his heart. He put it close to my heart. This is a heart-to-heart gift. He gave us $200. He brought it to me. Look at the next gift. He also came with prayer requests. Uh, Michael is there on the front kneeling down. That's Bob and Susan's son. He had told me, he said, hey, it'd mean a lot to Moose if you made a gift for him. He sounded like a little cross. So that's, a little, that's a little wooden cross I'd made. He's clutching that cross, and here we are praying for him. This is one of the holiest moments in the whole history of this church. And then the next, next slide. And so Susan was here with her phone. She was sitting right over there holding up her phone, and she was Skyping the whole thing back to Indonesia. Bob is in Indonesia, and he's watching them watch what's happening on this stage. And Bob says, after they saw that they just erupted, just this praise and this worship, that God's being glorified. It's just so satisfying that they were able to say, thank you for sending us these missionaries. Isn't that an amazing thing? God still empowers people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so I've held on to these $200 bills. I mean, what do you do with this? I mean, this is priceless. You don't want to buy snacks with it, right? <laughs> and so what are we going to do with this? And so I'm, I'm sitting there this week, and I'm thinking, we're having this perspectives course. It talks about taking the gospel to the nations. And here we have this gift that's come from the other ends of the earth. And so we're, we're going to donate this to a scholarship fund. Or somebody that needs help paying for the prospectus course. Maybe others of you want to donate to that, that fund. But uh, what an amazing, what an amazing opportunity to learn about what God is doing across the world. By the way, one other thought before we move on to the next point. If, if the person who shared Christ with you, that led Christ to you, is still alive, I would encourage you this week, get in touch with them. And uh, thank them, saying, thank you for bearing witness to me. I'm eternally grateful for that. Well, third reality, the ascension and return of Jesus. This is fueling Jesus' plan. Luke records that Jesus returned to his father, verse 9, and when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Remember, Jesus had been appearing over a period of 40 days, but normally he would disappear or walk away. But this time he was taken up on a cloud, which means he's not going to be making these appearances anymore. And so he's going back to heaven. He's at the right hand of his father. He's our advocate and our high priest. And he, he continues working. You see it as you go through the book of Acts in chapter 7. When, Pete, when uh, Stephen is being stoned to death, he gazes toward heaven. And what does he see? Jesus standing, not seated, but standing at the right hand of the Father. And so they needed to know Jesus had returned. 
He had, he had ascended back to the Father. But one day he would return, verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, indicating these were angels, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so he wanted them to know that Jesus would return the same way he, he left, bodily, visibly, on a cloud. Jesus said that. So you're going to see the Son of Man coming on the cloud. He's the, he's the Daniel 7 figure, the Son of Man who would be given dominion over all the nations. And so the return of Christ, they had to know about this. This is not some obscure doctrine. It's found in almost every book of the New Testament. And the reason why we're not told, well, could be a lot of reasons. One reason we're not told what, when he's coming back is so that we will live perpetually in a state of readiness, living the lives he wants us to live, doing the things he wants us to do, like being a witness, just telling people, living a transparent life. This is what I've experienced in Jesus. This is what you can, you can experience in Jesus. And finally, the response of the disciples they devoted themselves to prayer. Again, we see in Acts a new willingness on the part of the, the apostles to believe Jesus and follow his lead. And so here we see him, see them um, waiting as he had told them. Verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And then verse 13 records the disciples gathered in the upper room. If you count them, you'll see there are 11 uh, what about Judas? Well, the, ne- the passage we're going to look at next week talks about what happened to Judas, why, why it happened, and they're going to find a replacement for him. And uh, read that passage this week and ask the question, what is this about? What's the point? What is this really about? And I'll give you a hint. It's not about casting lots, okay? And so we'll talk about that next week. And then verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so they instinctively did what they saw Jesus doing so often. They prayed. They prayed. We will never be like the disciples in the book of Acts unless we are people who pray. And so my, my encouragement to you, my, my ask of you is, will you devote yourself to prayer when it comes to the plan for the nations. And so uh, you need to be led by the Holy Spirit in this. And so maybe there's something I've said today, something you, that you heard from the scriptures that got your attention. Maybe you're listening and you realized, you know, I have unbelief in my heart. I honestly don't believe that I can be a witness for him. I don't believe the Holy Spirit will empower me. If that's what you realize, that's what you should pray about. Admit that to God. Talk to God about it. He wants, he wants to soften your heart. He wants to show you that he's more generous than you ever fathomed. Or maybe as I was speaking, somebody came to mind, somebody you know, somebody you, you love who doesn't know Christ. Maybe he's prompting you to pray for an opportunity to bear witness to that person. This is how it happens. He leads us in specific ways like that. Well, let's trust God. Let's be a people who believe that Jesus knew what he was talking about. Because he says to us, still today, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses, both near and far. 
God, we pray that we would be people full of faith. We pray that we would be people who are just so loyal to Jesus that, that we, we would pay any price, any cost. We wouldn't think about our comfort. We wouldn't think about our preferences. We wouldn't think about our desires. We wouldn't think about ourselves, our limitations. But we would think about Jesus and being loyal to him. God, through this series, we pray that you would do an amazing thing. God, we pray for the body of Christ here in Manhattan, here at Faith and across the city. We pray we would be people who have this this consistent witness. We would be the aroma of Christ. We pray, God, that we would see thousands and thousands of people come to Jesus. His name we pray. Amen.